to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. A reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday between 2 and 3 p.m. I'm your host, William Lou. Alex is taking one of his two mandatory off days uh, per week. He's on the load management schedule uh, once again. So joining me in his stead for the first half at least is uh, Oren Weisfeld, friend of the program. Oren, it's great to see you. At the event on Monday, man. Did you have a good time? It was great, man. Yeah, I wanted to give you guys a shout out for that event because it was it was had a great time. It was cool to be at the Super Fresh. I've never been there before, and you know it's cool always to see like I knew you guys were big social media stars, of course, but to see it translate in all honesty to the real world and like how how many people were there and how starstruck honestly some of these people are. It was really cool to witness, and yeah, it was a fun event. Wow! All right, thank you. Um, it was cool for me too, man. I mean, it's it's not something that you ever expect to to, to see that kind of feedback. Um, but uh, yeah, I think I took like probably a hundred photos with people that day, and um, yeah, I for some reason chose to wear a ridiculous outfit where I had a soccer kit on underneath of a uh, of a basketball jersey it's uh, an absurd fit quite honestly but it was really cool to see everyone there i appreciate you coming out and uh yeah it was good to catch you before uh, you're on your way to uh, beautiful valencia for the off season but uh yeah before you go we gotta obviously touch on uh, two of the pieces that you know you wrote a while back obviously this is when the raptor season ended and you know we, we didn't get a chance to catch up with you about uh, these two pieces then, but I want to bring you on now. And and the first one was actually really interesting. So you wrote this one for Complex. The title of it is, It's Only a Matter of Time Before the Raptors Become a Free Agent Destination. And I want you to tell me why. Because to me, the past history has been very firmly in the uh, stance that the Raptors have not been a free agency destination. So please tell me why they should be. Yeah, for sure. I think it's that that would be fairly criticized, especially that title by the, not the old heads, but, you know, the people who have been around long enough to see, get their hopes up time and again, and then see the Raptors strike out in free agency. Um, But I think there's there's two things to note here. One is that, like, as a free agency destination, I don't necessarily mean you're going to get that max player, that LeBron James. Like, that's not necessarily going to be the case, but, you know, we're going to talk about this summer, they have the mid-level exception, that there's going to be some some competitiveness with some of these targets where a bunch of teams will be offering the mid-level and those targets will choose, okay, who do I want to go to out of these teams? So here's, here's I guess, why the Raptors are attractive. You know, first of all, they're a winning organization. They won the second most amount of games over the past, you know, 10 years after the Warriors. And, you can obviously this team is a little bit younger, but the organization, the coaching staff, they've all proven that they can be consistent winners. I think that's huge for a lot of players. Two, you know, the group they have in place and the leadership under Fred, it's clearly healthy. It's a wholesome culture, I would say. There's a lot of teams around the NBA who don't have the same kind of camaraderie that the Raptors have kind of established here. Um, and then in terms of like if if you're a player and you want you're looking at these different options and you obviously don't know how the offense is going to run, but you want your fair share of the ball. The Raptors have shown that they share the ball. Like they're the only team over the past three seasons to have five different players average at least 15 points. Mm. And that just goes to show like, it's not a heliocentric offense. It's not 
Siakam Ball or Fred Ball. It's really like everyone gets different games where they're the guy. And then obviously the last part of it is, is Toronto, and Toronto is a great city that a lot of NBA players talk really highly of, and especially Canadian NBA players. And so, of course, there is it, it's fair to say, like, well, it's never happened in the past. But if you look at it objectively and you just say, like, okay, here are the things Toronto has going for it, not many teams have those things going for it. Yeah, no, I think that's completely fair that you laid out. It's, I think for most people who are Raptor fans who are in Toronto or Canada, like we understand this. Um, I think the importance is to have other people understand it as well. And it, it does feel like something where um, even just going, thinking back to the, the season exit interviews, you know, you, you, I mean, it was included in your piece as well. But, you know, Nick Nurse said, quote, I think we got a lot to offer here. Um, we got a winning team, a first-class organization, amazing fans, an unbelievable city. I'd want to play here if I were a free agent. It felt like very much like an image that the Raptors organization wanted to sort of project out there, even though like there is nothing really to sell. This is just sort of what it is. Um, so, I mean, I guess like the question is like, so why, why haven't players wanted to come in the past? Well, I think like these things take time, right? You know, the players in the past didn't see the Raptors win a championship, whereas this generation of players did witness that. You know, the players of the past didn't see the Raptors be a winning organization. They were obviously the opposite of that. And now over the past 10 years, it's changed. So I just think these Mm -hmm. things take time to catch up. And that's why I kind of wrote the title as it is. Like, it is only a matter of time before these things catch up and, and the new generation of players has a very different outlook of the Raptors, I think, than the old generation of players. It was not that long ago that players were refusing to come to Canada, like literally. And and now you see a very different outlook. Like when I talk to players about Toronto and, and playing in Scotiabank, especially Canadians, obviously, they have like just good things to say. Their eyes light up when they talk about the city. And I think that that's just... A, kind of an organic change that's kind of accumulated over the years and yeah it it hasn't uh happened yet where where someone has come here but i think that's just because this is so new and and the raptors really haven't been a team that's had a lot of cap space and now like finally i I think over these next few years maybe they will be i I talked in that piece also about the new tv deal that's Mm. coming in i think 2024 which could open a lot of cap space for a whole lot of different teams, and, and that could really be an interesting market and, and maybe a test of everything that I'm saying. Um, but yeah, I think it's a I think it's a matter of time just because these things have slowly been changing. Yeah, that's a really good point about the the cap space in particular because like, look, obviously you know the front office can choose to operate sort of you know without um, free agency specifically in mind. Um, but at the same time, like, they just straight up haven't even had the cap space to make a splash for free agency. The last time I remember them even having some sort of substantial cap space was 2016. and Or 2015, sorry. And uh, that was the year they got um, Damari Carroll. Which, um, you know, yeah. honestly, it, it, at the time, everyone liked the signing. I definitely liked the signing. The Raptors needed a small forward, uh, especially a 3 and D kind of guy. You know, and he had been a really good player for a very successful Atlanta team. Now, fortunately, he had knee injuries and other injuries. And so his, he just never fully was able to produce the way that I guess fans wanted to. But, you know, the team was still able to at least land somebody at that time. Um, it's harder to say in retrospect um, that that was a good move. But, you know, at least they were able to get someone to agree. 
You know, I, I think when you think back to the more recent free agency signings, a lot of those where you mentioned were they're kind of like the smaller pieces that you see, whether that's like C.J. Miles on a mid-level exception to come in and, and be a three-point specialist or Bismack Biombo on a biannual exception, and he was obviously very exceptional the year the Raptors made that finals or uh, conference finals run in 2016. Uh, you got Corey Joseph in there as well. I think that was the same year that the Raptors signed uh, uh, Carroll as well. Um, and I think probably that's like at least right now. So if you're looking at this free agency period for the Raptors, like that's probably the level of signing we're looking at. We're, we, there's no expectation for the Raptors to go out there and sign some sort of huge free agent. But I think those are the pieces where if you can add productive pieces to your rotation and sell them on your program and sell them on the idea that you can improve them as players and uh, get them bigger contracts, like that's got to be a big selling point too, right? For sure. And, and like one last point on the kind of max guys, because like you said, the Raptors haven't operated as a cap space team. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're not going through this summer, but the NBA has also changed. And that's another thing I should have said, getting back to why no one has come and why maybe they will in the future. The NBA has changed for the point where you no longer need max cap space to get a big guy. Because if, if a player wants to go to your team that badly and that player has leverage, then they can make it happen through yeah. a trade, through a sign and trade, a la James Harden, you know. So I think that's, that's another factor that plays into the Raptors' hands here. Not this summer necessarily, but I do think, you know, if you if if they are the, the kind of attractive free agent destination that I think they are, then I think maybe it doesn't show itself in the form of having a max cap space in free agency. Maybe it shows itself as a team – as a, as a star player says, look, I'm out of here. Here are three teams that I'll be traded to, and the Raptors are one of them. Something like that. Um, but yeah, to go to go to this to go to this summer, like the mid-level exception is is kind of the thing that all the all, a lot of the you know above cap teams operate with, and therefore a lot of contenders operate with, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's a competitive market. The best guys who want to play for winning organizations are going to have to choose between the mid-level on a bunch of different teams. And the Raptors are one out of however many different teams that can offer it. And so, yeah, I think it can be a huge piece. I always go back to Jay Crowder signing with the Phoenix Suns, you know, becoming that fifth starter. And obviously Chris Paul came and, and obviously so many things that went right for them. But Jay Crowder was a huge part of, of them of taking the Suns to the next level, and he was a mid-level exception piece. So mm-hmm. that's the type of player you can get if everything goes right. Yeah, and you know it's it's funny you mentioned the mid-level because um, you know there was a while for a streak there where when the Raptors were managed by Brian Colangelo like a decade plus before, where like every year he'd sign somebody to the mid-level, and um, yeah, it, it didn't work out a lot of the time. I'm not gonna lie to you, I wasn't super thrilled about Jared Jack or Jason Capono or Fred Jones or. These types of players, but obviously I think Masai is going to make better decisions. Um, and also I think that goes back to not having many players who want to come to Toronto at yeah, that time, right? Really so his options, yeah. yeah, his yeah. options were limited too. Yeah, well, the, the, the thing is like, look, when you when you think about this issue and sort of like what players can sort of, um, what they think about coming to Toronto, I think for a lot of the American, you got to separate, right? I think for international players, realistically, I don't think any of them have ever had a real issue with coming to Toronto at all. I think international players um, have always been very open to this, seen it as an international city, which it is, absolutely. And I think it almost is attracted to them in that sense. Um, I think the harder thing is to convince American players to come to Toronto because I think for them, that's the only 
uh, job in the NBA where there's a bit of a culture shock. Although, quite honestly, Toronto is a very Americanized city. But, I mean, I guess you got to use different money and know what a centimeter is, I guess. It's not a big adjustment to me personally, but I guess, you know, for other people, it might be a bit of a culture shock. Uh, and, of course, like, the weather is the weather. Like, it is what it is. I mean, other places, like, I would say a third of the league is cold. Um, but, you know, you have a situation in Toronto where people just associate it with the cold. I think those are things you can't really work around, right? And, of course, the border is difficult. Like, for example, if you want to bring your family over across and all that stuff, it is more of a hassle than just being in the States. Having said that, though, could the border eventually become an advantage for the Raptors? Because um, something you, you included in this piece is that there is so much Canadian talent already in the league and and just nonstop it's going to keep coming um in terms of the developmental systems you see tons of aau teams in, in ontario you see it in in, in quebec see it even, i think maybe bc has one as well but any case like you're seeing tons of canadian talent start to emerge and could that almost be like a home field advantage in terms of just like when someone like a jamal murray or when a shea gilgis alexander hits that point where they need to, to feel a change in their careers whether that's through trade or free agency, could that be the moment where you're like, all right, then you're really looking at the Raptors as a as a destination? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It only takes one of those stars to want that kind of added pressure of playing at home. And I think those two guys that you just mentioned are kind of fit that category of guys who might be willing to, to come home. Obviously, like, I don't know, but I think the answer is that I think so. But there's other competitive advantages of regardless of if a star who's currently in the league, you know, wants to force their way to Toronto, we won't know until that happens. But, you know, even look at the draft this year where the Raptors have a built-in advantage of they've seen these players for longer than most teams just by the fact that they don't have to cross a border every single time they play. And so, like, someone like Caleb Houston, Houston he's a good example because, like, he – declined an invite to the draft combine. And so there's now speculation of a team giving him a guarantee that they'll pick him so he didn't show up to the draft combine. And I'm not saying the Raptors are that team that gave him a guarantee, but what I'm saying is that they could very much do that in the future with Canadian players where they they have the ability to make relationships with these players before other teams. They have the hometown advantage where these players are starstruck a little bit with, you know, Masai Ujiri talking to them rather than, I don't know, the Portland Trail that I was talking about. Like, yeah. those things matter. And I think I think whether it's Houston or, or whether it's a prospect in the future where the Raptors kind of give that guarantee so that they don't show up to the combine and that they basically go silent until the draft, yeah, there's an advantage there for sure. Yeah, no doubt. It would be a... Uh... Man, it would be nice. I was just saying, it would be nice. It would be a nice reversal. And I think, you know, you think back to, like, things like, you know, the Raptors saying that they first... Um, you know, saw Delano or Delano first caught their eye at, at the Wild mm-hmm. game. And, you know, like these are things that, again, there's just so much Canadian talent coming up and you got to figure eventually some of them are going to see like not only because I think that, look, the money in the NBA is, is you know, especially when you're talking about the top, top players, like it's it's almost irrelevant because they could all pay you the same amount. There's the max, right? Um, but I think there's like other factors that sort of come into play. And I think for the fact that these people are all very public people and um, they're in the public spotlight. Like how relevant you are, I think also um, factors in in a weird way. I think it's probably a little bit egotistical, but like I don't know. This is also we're dealing with humans and their feelings, and you know, like you go to a big market team, you get talked about, you get discussed, you get you know additional deals and, and you know endorsements and all this other stuff. I feel like people are starting, to, are will eventually see that opportunity in, in Toronto as well because like there is. 
like, you know, again, all due respect to Fred and everything that he's done. Do you think Fred gets this many endorsement deals if he doesn't play in Canada? Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if he was Canadian. just playing for the Detroit Pistons, there's no way he'd be he's out here wearing Uggs for money. <laughs> right. Yeah, and and he's not even Canadian. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. they're unbought potentially. If a Canadian were to come to Toronto, then there's a whole host of like endorsement deals that we're not even talking about right now. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, that and and, and this is another great quote you you put in here. This is like when Masai first came to Toronto. Um, well, I, I guess as as GM, he was here before as the assistant GM and, and, and head scout and everything like that. But you know, he said back in 2013, you know, um, Toronto is a place where you can sort of attack um, the rest of the world. And you can really use that as a launching point for a more international market, which, again, you would need players to sort of see that global view rather than just seeing a limited uh, America-centric view. But, uh, you know, hopefully that'll happen. Uh, another piece that you wrote recently, this one over at Yahoo, um, is, is about the Raptors needing shooting. And this is another conversation I want to have because um, clearly when you're looking at the frequency needs, that will probably be the most easily addressable piece if we're talking about using the mid-level or using the biannual or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. So first off, like, walk me through this. Like, how bad is the situation for the Raptors in terms of shooting? How much has it affected their shot spectrum? Just give us a sense of how bad the picture is in terms of the three-point shooting needs for the Raptors. Okay. Well, we'll start by they took 34.2 three-point attempts per game, which is the 19th most in the NBA, and and they converted on 35, basically 35% of them, 20th best mark in the NBA. So, obviously not near the top in either of those. And then shooting, you know, pull-up shooting also applies to inside the arc. So, you know, the Raptors shot the two-ball at the 28th worst mark in the league, and they shot from the free-throw line at the 23rd worst mark in the league. And obviously, you you said that sad a few times on the show in in the playoffs. I think they shot 23 of 100 on their last 100 three balls in the Philly series, right? In the last yep. three games. So the the issue is bad, but also when you look at the roster, it totally makes sense that like they're not this great three point shooting team. They're a bunch of six nine forwards who are defensive specialists. Like that's the majority of the roster. So. Nobody really expected them to be a great three-point shooting team, but I think the Raptors did expect some guys to take leaps from beyond the arc that didn't take leaps. And and that's really what this piece was about. It's like, can we, can we stop taking bets? I think the roster has enough bets on it. And, like, some of this growth is going to have to come internally, whether it's Scotty Barnes, Precious Achua, even Pascal, you know, I think those guys will become better three-point shooters. But I just think when you look at the, at the roster, there's so many guys who you are betting on them to improve as three-point shooters. And, yes, the Raptors have a track record of doing that. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like, now the recipe for success is there. The core is there. To take it to the next level, I'd like to see them actually go in and get, like, a certified stamped shooter. All right. Who are some stamped shooters you got in mind? Okay, well, I mean, I like Gary Harris in terms of, you know, if we're talking about free agents, Gary Harris may be the best shooter who who's currently a free agent, was just in Orlando. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that's his market is the mid-level exception. You might have to go several years for a guy like that because I think he's one of the best free agents probably if we're talking unrestricted. So, yeah. again, it's going to be a competitive thing. A lot of contenders are going to want a Gary Harris. 
and you're going to maybe have to give some term, and you're maybe going to have to convince him that there's a role on the team for him. But he's he's been a good three-point shooter throughout his career. He gets to the rim, which is another thing that the Raptors, you know, kind of lack on their team. But he does at a pretty high rate. And then he's a, he's a stout defender, and mm-hmm. I think he would match their system really well. Uh, so that's one guy that comes to mind. Yeah, I, th- I wouldn't mind Gary Harris as the third guard for the Raptors. I think that's one of the issues for the Rapt- uh, for the season where just like that third guard was so difficult to to to, to rely on. Um, there was never one guy who took that role and ran with it. I guess Malachi got a shot at it. He didn't do it. Talano got a shot at it. He didn't really do it. And I think it's, it's the key there is just like, you know, when you think about Gary and, and Fred, these guys are probably going to miss some time. Not even these guys aren't even injury prone. They're not that at all. It's just like when you look at the modern NBA, very few players are playing 82 games or even something close to it. Probably expecting the average player to play 70 games, especially if they're playing heavy starters minutes. So you're going to probably need like not only just a third guard, but a guard that was good, that's good enough to step into a starting role. And I think um, Gary would be a nice piece. I mean, he's been a starter for most of his career um, until recently in Orlando. But, uh, you know, he, he'd be an interesting piece. Um, but another Harris is in the news. Jalen Harris. Back in Toronto, apparently, um, he posted uh, some, you know, Instagram stories of the CN Tower. Because, look, if you're if you're coming to Toronto for the first time, you got to make sure you got that tower in there, of course. Uh, Skydome lit as well, or Rogers Center, my bet. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I saw a lot of excitement on the timeline. Orrin, let me just get your excitement level on Jalen Harris potentially returning to the Raptors. I would like it, man. I'm a, okay. I'm a Jalen Harris guy. Like, yeah. there's definitely some overlap. Name three of his hits. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> there's uh, three of his hits contested two-pointer, contested not. Like, there's some overlap there with Gary Trent Jr. I think they kind of have similar shot profiles. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, Gary Trent Jr. is basically on an expiring, right? This mm. season he'll be on, on a, what is essentially an expiring. And so – Jalen Harris is kind of maybe some insurance there in case Trent doesn't come back or in case Trent is dealt at some point. I kind of like Jalen Harris to fill in maybe, I don't know, 70% of what Trent can do maybe a year from now, mm-hmm. assuming he, he kind of continues developing. Defensively, obviously, he's not at the same level as a Trent at all, but he shot the ball, the three ball pretty well in college, and, and he shot it on a low volume well with the Raptors. And, He's just a really athletic guy, and I think the Raptors could use some athleticism from the from the guard spots, from the perimeter, right, where he's a guy who can just, like, catch the ball, someone, and attack a closeout and just dunk in the lane, where the Raptors don't really have, like, Malachi is not doing that. Fred is not doing that. The Raptors don't have a lot of guys who can do that, and so I think that's one thing that he brings in addition to the, the shooting. Yeah, I mean, so... For people don't, um, who haven't followed along, so Jalen Harris was suspended from the league. Um, he needs to get reinstated. Um, to be honest, as a young guy, his first-time offense, like, probably will be reinstated. Um, it would be kind of very unfair, honestly, if the league just didn't do that. Um, but in any case, yeah, the league would have to clear him to be reinstated. At that point, the Raptors will hold his restricted rights. Um, and, yeah, I mean, if they want to bring him in, I mean, look, it's hard to evaluate players from Tampa for multiple reasons, not just because they were playing in Tampa and it was an empty arena, um, but even uh, on the more fi- uh, you know uh, minute things. Like, for example, you would have seen a lot of Jalen Harris in the G League. Probably would have got an extended run in the G League, right? But last season in Tampa, the way the G League ran, it was all in the bubble um, that took place in Orlando. Um, and so 
he only played seven games. Um, the bubble was short, about a month long, right? So he just didn't play a lot of games. Played seven games, Jalen Harris. Averaged 18 points per game, 50% shooting from the field, 50% from three. Honestly, fairly standard stuff. When you're looking at G League guards, you could probably find like two dozen players who had those types of statistics, which is not for me to say like Jalen was not special. I just mean that like it's hard to look at the G League stats and completely see a differential. When we finally saw him come up to play with the Raptors at the end of the season when, you know, the the, the, the gobble was over and now it was like, okay, um, we need bodies to actually fill out the roster considering the fact that we're basically tanking the rest of the season. We saw him score 31 against Dallas. That was the big game for him. He was He's from um, the Dallas area, so he had a lot of family in the building. He also sauced, he also sauced up Luka a few times, which was uh, very enjoyable to see. Showed a lot of his trickery in that game. Also had a nice game against Memphis, 16 points, 17 against Chicago as well. Um, but there's just like, it's a very limited sample in terms of like what he has done. But at the same time, I, that's part of the reason why I want to see him get a second chance or at least like see him in a summer league setting, see him in a training league, uh, a training camp setting. And just to be sure, like, you know, you're not missing out on something here because, I mean, I don't know, man, that 31 game, point game against Dallas might have been a top 10 Tampa moment. That was a sad season, but Jalen was uh, one of the unsung heroes. Yeah, like those games are incredibly hard to evaluate too at the end of the season. Where yeah. some like, teams are trying like, Stanley Johnson are... had like a 35-point game. Like, you know? Yeah, like... Stanley Johnson was our best. But you know Chris Boucher led the Raptors in win shares in that se- in the Tampa season? Like, he will have that forever. on, on his. It's like Lowry, 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 Chris Boucher. <laughs> He'll have that forever. Okay, um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, Jalen Harris, I think if anything, the Raptors will kind of give him like one of those training camp deals where, you know, he, they, they develop him over the summer. He comes to training camp and he has to win a spot over some of the guys who are, are again competing. Like even like David Johnson is basically the two way that replaced Jalen Harris kind of mm. similar games. And yep. maybe like they bring those two to camp and, and make and them pass it out because yeah, because it's like, it is unfair that like, it's like a recreational drug thing, I guess, that, that got him banned from the league for a year. Um, but there's no doubt that Jalen Harris showed more than a David Johnson did, right? And so I think... Well, I mean, he actually that, did it for against NBA competition versus, like, against G League competition. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah, I'm with you. I'd, I'd, I'd like to just see him get a, an opportunity in training camp to kind of prove himself. Yeah, fair enough. All right, lastly, before we go, my... Uh, my editor, or my, my producer, and your editor, Alex Wong, has requested me to ask you to promote the story that you wrote for Slam Canada. Let us know what's going on. What's the story? I haven't I haven't seen the uh, the magazine yet. Um, obviously, this is a secret project that Alex has been working on, so I knew he was working on it. I knew he involved a lot of Canadian writers to to write this special edition of Slam uh, Canada. So, Orin, what was the story you wrote, man? Yeah. Well, first of all, shout out to Alex. Uh, honestly, one of the best people that I've met in this uh, in the sports media game. He's helped me out a lot, and he edited obviously the first edition of Slam Canada, which is very exciting. Just, I mean, for me as someone who's trying to write a lot of stories about young Canadian, young up and coming Canadian ballers, it's great that Slam is coming to Canada. Yep. Um, Alex obviously edited it, and he got me involved to write one of the stories. And yeah, I wrote about. I basically traced the modern history of the Toronto Raptors through about five Torontonian-based photographers who have covered the Raptors over the years. So 
basically through some of the the most iconic photos that they've taken, we trace the history of the Raptors. And so everyone in Canada on Friday that comes out and go go support, go buy a go buy an edition. Yeah, no, it's it's awesome, man. Um, I see Shay is one of the covers. I see Steve Nash is one of the covers, and Kia Nurse. And uh, yeah, no, this is a really exciting project, Orin. Appreciate you as always. Have a good vacation, man. And uh, yeah, looking forward to calling you again sometime in the summer. All right, man. Thanks, and uh, good luck with the rest of the season. Keep doing it, you guys. Appreciate you, man. All right, we're going to take a uh, break right here. I'm your host, Willow. You've been listening to The Raptor Show on Sports Five Ninety The Fan. When we come back, we will review game one between the Boston Celtics and the Miami Heat with another friend of the program, Big V. Stay tuned. Great daily gambling advice from J.D., Blake, and Ailish in the Fan Morning Show's Wake and Rake. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet 590. The Fan, I'm your host, Wim Lou. Continue to be, uh, I guess, without Alex Wong. And so... Bringing in Big V, as we do every Wednesday, Vivek Jacob of Raptors.com. Uh, Vivek, we were actually just talking to Orn about his involvement mm-hmm. with uh, the first ever issue of Slam Canada. But uh, I got to ask you the same question because you wrote one of the cover stories on Steve Nash. So, uh, Vivek, yeah, just, I mean, obviously, don't don't step on the story. Like, just let us know what the story was about and um yeah how did you did you talk to Steve Nash about soccer cuz i feel like you probably absolutely did <laughs> i mean to sort of bury the lead here the unfortunate part was i never got the chance to talk with Steve Nash oh and, no uh he was uh very busy with the what was going on with his team the Brooklyn Nets with and, what i thought i thought the nets had uh, Kyrie and KD who were coaches i thought you know Steve would just right. yeah Anyway, exactly. Um, so I guess he had some things that he had to deal with. And obviously, uh, Slam had their own deadlines. And unfortunately, we couldn't make it happen. But, right. uh, you know, I still was able to get some great voices for the story. And, you know, I think when we talk about Steve Nash and what he's accomplished in his career. Obviously we talk about the seven seconds or less Phoenix suns. I didn't think there was anything new to tell there. I think there's a long way to go before his coaching story can really be told. Mm -hmm. So didn't go there. Um, And then when we talk about what he's accomplished with team Canada, we focus on that Olympics and kind of falling short. Right. And uh, in terms of winning a medal. So, I wanted to look before that because let's face it, Canada on the men's side has not qualified for the Olympics since 2000, since Steve Nash led them there. And so what was that journey in actually getting to the Olympics? Mm -hmm. And so those are some of the things that I focused on and, you know, just him coming up as a kid and uh, getting to that point where he actually led Canada to the Olympics. And so, uh, you know, I think it's something that's maybe not talked about as much as the other stuff he's accomplished. And so that's what I kind of dug into. Cool. That's very good. Honestly, um, and this is not a unique story, but like Steve Nash is like one of the main reasons I fell in love with basketball was like, you mm-hmm. know, watching Steve and the, that son's team on court cuts on the score 
yeah was like legendary stuff man the the, the passes that he made um also one of the best slam dunk um appearances was not because it was weird because I guess Amari Stoudemire was the one who was physically dunking the ball, but he was actually just throwing down like super regular dunks. The cool thing was like <laughs> seeing Steve Nash do like a rainbow flick or like seeing Steve Nash like head the ball off a uh, pass off the window. Um, yeah. He carried Amari. I mean, he, I guess he carried Amari in many ways, but he definitely carried Amari through that dunk contest. That was nice to see, man. Yeah. And, there's so many different sides to Steve and mm-hmm. talking to these different people like soccer just naturally came up. Yeah. Where, yeah. Uh, it was kind of like, you know, sometimes he'd be like, Hey, I, you know, I, it, we're running practice and it's going, uh, you know, if I make this half court shot, we're playing soccer the rest of the way. <laughs> like, no, that's hilarious. Like He's that. running gym and, class. This, this explains <laughs> a lot about the Brooklyn Nets actually, but we're just going to move on. <laughs> no, actually, um, Man, one thing I wish I, I always was very envious that I was like I wished I had a chance to somehow be involved in. Um, Steve Nash used to have these charity tournaments in I think in, mm. in New York in the summertime, and he'd be charity charity uh, soccer, obviously. Um, and you know he would bring in like obviously some NBA players to play, but also like some um, actual like footballers. And my goodness, that would have been so cool um, to have played in that. But we are not here to talk about soccer until the last five minutes, and so I know Alex is at home regretting that he put in this promo um to <laughs> for slam canada <laughs> we're going to talk about celtic seat so game one took place last night uh celtics looked pretty strong at the start of the game took an early lead mm-hmm. was leading at halftime um but then the the heat came out with a ridiculous 22 to 2 start to the third quarter uh, won the third quarter, thirty-nine to fourteen. Ended up closing out the game by a score of one eighteen to one oh seven. Bit of a, a late comeback by the Celtics, but never anything to really threaten. So yeah, first off, like, did the result surprise you at all? Uh, a little bit. I okay. think what surprised me is that I expected the Celtics to have like the level of preparation and sharpness that they showed in the Bucks series. I think when you play a series at that level, you mm-hmm. almost naturally come in to game one on that level with that physicality and that intensity. And I think that's where the heat were maybe a bit overawed and were unprepared for it. Um, and that's what changed for me after halftime where you saw them ramp up the physicality, the intensity, and it was like, okay, now we got to really, really bring it. Bam Adebayo was incredible defensively. Yep. Jimmy Butler obviously decided to take on uh, the lead role and lead them back. And then the Celtics just sort of said, oh my God, we got to go back to this level of intensity now. And they just weren't ready for it. <laughs> They're and like, Jason tired, Tatum. <laughs> and I think one of the things that was interesting for me was watching that third quarter, you saw a bit of the identity that they had before their turnaround. When we criticized, mm-hmm. oh, can Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum work? Is it too much one-on-one? Do they not have that chemistry? Does a ball stick too much? I, I thought we saw more of that. And that's what allowed Miami to kind of force those turnovers because you saw more of the one-on-one. They're saying, hey, okay we can really apply pressure on the ball now and get out. 
Yeah, I really liked um, the way the Heat were able to turn up their intensity, as you mentioned. The ball pressure was really, really strong in the second half. Um, it was really interesting watching the game because I thought first half it was almost like, wow, this feels like a regular season game. It didn't feel like nearly as intense. Maybe it was because the last time I saw the Celtics it was like, you know, uh, fighting tooth and nail with uh, the Milwaukee Bucks. But, I mean, the, what surprised me was the Celtics had 42 points in the paint in the first half alone. And at, after the halftime, they only scored six more the rest of the way. So you're talking about 42 versus six in terms of points in mm. the paint uh, between the halves. I thought the, the Heat were really able to nail a lot of their switching. It's an interesting series because both teams switch a ton. Um, and I think mm-hmm. by the stats, they're actually one and two in the league, the Celtics and the Heat, in terms of how often they switch ball screens. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to create a series where there's probably going to be a lot of one-on-one. And I thought that, look, if you are going to play that way against Miami, you're going to need your top defenders in because Jimmy Butler right now is just playing at a level where there's a very good case to be made that Jimmy's playing better than anybody else individually as a player than in the in the entire playoffs. He's been Luca's probably big. the only one in the conversation. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I think there's a case where, with Jimmy where he does so much defensively, um, but of course, I think Luca is a is a better offensive player. Uh, in any case, though, the fact that he's even in that conversation is kind of absurd. And we saw that, like, look, if you're going to switch a lot and you don't have Horford, who was out with COVID, and we'll see if he's able to come back for Game Two. Marcus Smart was out wearing a, a very Miami esque outfit on the sideline. Um, he. It was probably going to return for game two, so that's probably going to help. But what we saw was, like, a lot of Jimmy Butler picking on mismatches, uh, whether that was, like, Peyton Pritchard or, you know, mm-hmm. some of these other, you know, uh, guys that the Celtics were playing because they had to extend their rotation. You know, they they played um, uh, uh, Neesmith as well. Like, yep. It's harder to play that kind of style defensively. Obviously, when they get their better players back, I think that'll kind of improve. Did it change? Shout it? out that one great block that Neesmith had. By oh him. yeah, on the two on yeah on two on one. Yeah, that yeah. was honestly. I mean, he he he. I think he got that block, and then he jumped at everything else from that point <laughs> yeah, onward. He, he was just trying to do that block over and over and over again, and the Heat started getting him for fouls by pump faking and stuff. But yeah, I mean, like, just can we just have a conversation about Jimmy Butler as a playoff guy, like? I mean, yeah. to me, is he is he not one of the top 10 playoff guys in the league? Like guys he that you would to want to go into a playoff series with on your team? Unquestionably. I mean, that's why, you know, even when you look at the state of Philadelphia and the choices that led them to moving on from Jimmy Butler, like that is a seismic event in terms of the future of that franchise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, yeah. over me. <laughs> And you could say the same for the Chicago Bulls, right? Yep. Where yep, yep. they had that conflict and they decided to move on from him. You look at Minnesota and they decided to move on from him. Now, obviously, there needs to be a certain type of environment that can cater to the personality that Jimmy Butler is. Obviously, we remember the regular season, you know, argument that he had with Eric Spolstra. And yep. Spolster is literally saying, dude, I'm not going to fight you. Um, and so do you have, you know, enough personalities on your team that can withstand that? Yeah. Uh, and uh, ultimately, I think Miami, the Heat as a franchise, recognize that it all stems from his desire to win. Mm, yeah. And that's what it all comes back to. And so they're able to work with it. Uh, so yeah, Jimmy Butler as a talent, like we have to give him his due. Um, he showed it in the, in the bubble going to the finals, 
now this run that he's on is incredibly special when it comes to the playoffs i mean you said top 10 there might be a conversation for top five in terms of the level he can get to damn and look i think watching jimmy what stands out to me is like he really just does the right thing on on almost every single play and that's offense and defense. We know defensively he's a really special player. A lot of that turnaround in the third quarter was Jimmy Butler. I think like oh, like maybe twice in the span of like five possessions, the Celtics were just yeah. trying to get into their offense where they would give the ball to um, to Robert Williams at the top of the floor so that they can get Tatum and, and, and Brown off ball and coming off of cuts and curls or whatever and stuff like that. Pretty standard stuff. And both times Jimmy would just like lurk from the weak side. As long as the pass was made, they'd come over and poke the ball out of Williams' hands. And then go out for runouts where he was able to score in transition, right? Um, I think that happened twice in that third quarter run. Um, so defensively, we know what he can do. Um, I thought the Celtics uh, were trying very hard not to play one-on-one against Jimmy Bowler because that would be very silly. Um, he's, there's a total commitment on that end. But I think offensively, too, when you watch the games, there's not like... I mean, like, of course he has the mid-range game going. He has a really, really... It's almost Damar-esque, the way he's able to draw fouls. He's so strong. Uh, mm-hmm. but he's also got the mid-range game on lock. He's got the up fakes and all that stuff. He does a really good job. He got to the free throw line, I think, 18 times. Um, but there's also, like, small in-between plays that you see him make, right? Like, there was a play where the Heat were on the fast break in the third quarter, and I think Struess had the ball, and he was taking it up. And he was probably going to dunk it in anyway, but Jimmy Butler, instead of just, like, filling the lane, made sure to run directly in front of Grant Williams, which cut yeah. off a potential chase-down attempt. That kind of small stuff right there. There was a play where somebody missed a three, but Jimmy Butler comes in for the, you know, crashes the glass on the weak side, gets the rebound over two bigger Celtics defenders. He's able to reset the offense. He's able to screen for the ball as well when he needs to. He's able to, you know, obviously hit some bailout shots, but he just plays the game the right way, like most of the time. And he plays both ends of the floor. You know, that's the thing for me where it's just like, Man, um, he's deadly. I, I, having seen Jimmy Butler once in the playoffs, the, the, the you know, the he was a terror against the Raptors as well in that Sixers yeah. series. Until and I mean, seven. he's terrorized the Raptors plenty before that too. Yeah, <laughs> man. Because uh, the game I always go back to is when he broke one of Michael Jordan's records in Chicago for most points and a half. Because I think he scored like forty-two. Uh, to, yeah. to to beat the Raptors one of those times. It was very frustrating to watch Jimmy Butler. But in any case, um, yeah, I just think that, like, overall, like, are the Heat not a little bit underrated? When you hear these conversations overall about this series, like, I I've, I picked Boston as well. I think Boston's still going to win the series. This is not a concern for me necessarily. But I, I just, I don't know. The way I feel like the Heat gets spoken of, I don't fully feel like they get their, their due and their respect here. Yeah, they probably don't. And if... You look at Jimmy Butler, he's someone that obviously has another gear once he gets to the postseason. You look at the way he completely rejects shooting threes in the regular season. Um, and then you look at the injuries that the Miami Heat have had over the course of the regular season. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's because we haven't seen them at full strength for long enough to truly appreciate what they can be. But at the end of the day, you look at the flip side of it is they sustained all these injuries and still finished with the number one seed. And so even when a Kyle Lowry is still missing, Gabe Vincent can come in and give them exactly what they need. And Jimmy Butler, again, it all functions off of what he does where he can pick apart whatever you give him. Where, you know, you look at the Philly series, they were giving him the mid-range, he takes it. Now... 
you know, you look at Boston, switch heavy, he's going to get to the basket and force his way to the free throw line. So mm. it's, yeah, they're, they're really, really good and they deserve all the respect. Yeah, for sure. And they've really developed guys like, it looked like, like Gabe Vincent. That's a two way contract that they developed to the point where he's so, I mean, this, I, I think a lot of people were surprised because they're like, wow, no Kyle Lowry, but Gabe Vincent's able to step up. That's cool. I don't, you know, um, I haven't seen that name before. This is this what this happened with the Heat multiple times in the regular season. I remember the, the triple overtime against the Raptors, right, where the Raptors won that game mm-hmm. against Miami in right in in, uh, in in January. Kyle was out for that game, so Gabe Vincent played, and he was awesome. He did the exact same thing that he did here. And to think that again, he was a a two way contract that has been you know promoted to the the team, and he's earned his stripes. I mean, it's really impressive to see the Miami Heat and the things that they're able to do. This is going to be a really interesting series. I think there's going to be a lot of tactics um, continuing to change. I thought we even saw a lot of it at halftime um, with the Celtics unable to get into the paint. Um, I think ultimately, though, the Celtics' talent will sort of take them past Miami, but it's going to be a, a long series. It's not going to be anything light and easy. Uh, actually, one quick thing before we finally talk about soccer. So um, I know this is something that I've seen you tweet about a lot, but the NBA is going to try to implement a change for next season where <laughs> – they're going to try to eliminate take fouls in transition where they just take the foul to stop the play. They're going to essentially give them all as um, uh, clear path fouls. So you're going to get one free throw and the ball back to you. Right. My question is, can I, I, this is a cool thing. I, I like this, but can we actually just have the officials um, play advantage? Do you know yeah. what I mean? Because this would still yeah. stop the fast break. Like, you would still not get the actual outcome of the play. You get the free throw and the ball, so it doesn't disincentivize those fouls. But most of the time, I actually just want them to just not call the foul immediately, let the play happen, and after the play is over, go back and give the assess the foul, like yep. they do in soccer. No, that's what I would see as the optimal solution. This is progress where they're taking what's been done in the G League where they've done this and now they're saying, okay, you know, I think there's enough room to try this out. There's been enough of a negative response to the take file mm-hmm. and just taking away transition plays and the overall excitement of the game. And the other thing I question is, okay, so now are you going to still stop and go to the monitor and say, oh, do we need to review whether, you know, this is worthy of a technical file, that type of thing. Um, so you're still stopping the game. Mm. And so I would like to, now that we've seen this G league experiment come to the NBA, let the G league now try out the advantage so Mm. that you can see how that plays out. And then if it's, if that is proving to be an even better solution, then let's bring that to the NBA. Yeah, fair enough. Well, you know, that, that's a good, yeah, it's a good call because it is a step in the right direction at least. Um, especially for a team like the Raptors, by the way, which we're already like top two in terms of transition opportunities per game. Like it's us and mm-hmm. Memphis, right? So, and this has been a multi-year process where the Raptors have always been really good in transition. So you got to figure this is actually, in terms of role changes, probably benefits the Raptors even more than some because that's already a strength of the team. Uh, lastly, we've reached a point in the show where we got to talk about uh, about uh, our favorite sports, soccer. Sorry, basketball, but uh, it's just, it doesn't compare to the passion that we see, especially in the Premier League, heading down to the final day, match day 38, Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, Liverpool home to Wolves, City home to Aston Villa, Liverpool one point back. Um, goal differential is clearly going to be in favor of City. 
Um, but yep. uh, yeah, do you have a do you have a wild prediction here? Are you gonna go with City's gonna win and you know take care of business, or are we gonna see some sort of real drama here? I do think City is gonna take care of business uh, at home against Aston Villa, but I will say, as someone who, and this might sound blasphemous as a United fan, uh-huh. but I've really come to appreciate the way Liverpool play football under Klopp. Thank you. And to me, they have been the most entertaining, aesthetically pleasing team of the last, you know, five or six years. And I think it would be cool to see them make history and win the quadruple. So if Steven Gerrard can come through. Oh, my God. Uh, oh. Get out of here. No. No. Stop playing this, this What are you doing, man? It's a terrific moment. Nah, you, you, gotta, you gotta worry about staying up, all right? You gotta worry about staying up, man. You better nah. You're gonna be, you're gonna be oh, seeing man. Stoke next year. <laughs> anyway. Shout out, Derek. <laughs> Damn it, man. I walked right into that one. All right, real quick too. I need your thoughts as a United fan. Um avoiding conference league. You guys are away at Palace, West Ham, <laughs> away at Brighton. I mean Brighton's pretty good. But uh Yeah. Damn. I mean, and Palace is also playing really well of late. Um, shout out to Patrick Vieira. I mean, that's the funny thing. It, it, like, United got lucky that Man City equalized. Because or else West Ham would pretty much be in control yeah. to get that spot. So, Fair enough. It's rough, man. <laughs> yeah, it is rough. All right, we're not going to talk about United. That does it for us today. V, thank you for joining us on the program. But uh, I've been your host, Willu. And you've been listening to The Raptor Show on Sports Night 590 The Fan. Make sure you find The Raptor Show wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. And please rate and review our show. Reminder, we're streaming live on Sportsnet's YouTube channel and airing live on Sportsnet 360, Monday to Friday between 2 and 3 p.m. Thanks once again to my guests, Warren Weisfeld and Vivek Jacob, our board producer, Derek Brandale, and Jennifer Rolnick for helping us with the YouTube stream. We'll be back here tomorrow.